So welcome to Grace. My name is Clint Harrison. I'm a campus pastor here. And I, I don't know if you've ever had this, but any of you that have kids, have they ever come to you and been like, hey, uh, we want to change our room up. So we're just going to throw some furniture over here. We're going to do some stuff over there. Anybody? Or maybe as an adult, you just like, man, I want to change up the living room. So like, let's put the couches over here. Let's put this stuff over here. So that's what we did this morning. We just showed up and we we're like, hey, let's throw some stuff around. Let's see what sticks. I'm totally joking. If you haven't been with us, uh, normally we are facing this way, we showed up this morning and all the bleachers were out. They were locked and we couldn't move them. And so, man, huge celebration, praise to our ops team who pivoted this morning, which is fantastic. Those guys are amazing. Uh, really appreciate them. So last week we kicked off our annual theme for the year, which is enter the sanctuary. And I opened up with a question that I got text and conversations and lots of people processing. And here's the question. With this idea of sanctuary, is the church a sanctuary for you? Is it a place of sanctuary? Is it a place of refuge? Is it a safe place? Is it a holy place? Is it a distinct, set-apart place for you? And so we unpacked that. We talked about sanctuary. We talked about how a sanctuary is a place full of committed, not consumeristic Christians. And so that's what we unraveled and unpacked and walked through the scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 2. And so we're continuing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. And what we're going to be talking about today is how do you, in this room, be a sanctuary in 2023? How do you be a place of rest, a safe place, a holy place, a, a place that is set apart for others to see? So that's where we're headed. And when I, immediately when I, when I think about these things, I, I just want you to go here with me for a second. I want you to ask yourself this question. What does a safe person or sanctuary look like? Like immediately, I have several thoughts that come to my mind. One is when I first became a Christian, if you don't know my story, I'm not going to give it all now, but radical change, crazy rebellion to pursuing God with everything in all of my relationships, at my school, across the board. So 15 years old, total life transformation, preaching Jesus, talking about Jesus, reading my Bible, praying, inviting people to church, the whole deal. I'm an Enneagram 7. I love fun. I love new. I actually showed up this morning. I was like, this is cool. All right. Let's try this out. This is a good day. You know, like I'm just like that. And so Christianity, while it changed my life, super excited. About eight months into it, I started, you know, the excitement started to wear a little bit. You start to realize, okay, this is hard sometimes. And I'm not as excited to read my Bible today as I was three months ago. Right? And so all these questions started to loom. And I found myself doing things that I used to do that I knew weren't right, but also I didn't want to do it anymore, but I still found myself doing it. And so questions just continued to mount. And then I started going, was well, this real? Like, do I actually believe what I say I believe? Is, is Christianity real? Is Jesus real? Is the gospel real? Is, and I just started to walk through this. I'm in a community. I'm in the student ministry at the time. And one of the mentors, he's a disciple group leader, he overheard me talking about questioning my faith and even my salvation. And he knew some of the radical change because I was just loud at that time. And so he came and just started talking. Wow, okay. 
I don't know how to feel about that. Uh, but anyways, uh, he goes, yeah, uh, keep talking. And he goes, how about this? He goes, you sound like you're really struggling. And your question if God really did anything in your life. He's like, why don't we start meeting? And there was another guy in my group felt the same way. His name was Nick. And he goes, why don't we start meeting? And uh, we can meet at my house. We can walk through uh, Warren Wearsby's book, Commentary on Mark. So short, kind of devotional style commentary. And I was like, yeah, where do you live? And he goes, he's told me the address. I was like, say that again. I was like, dude, that's the house right next to mine. I had no idea this guy lived next to me. He's in his mid-30s. He's single, super dude, really respected at our church. And I was just like, all right. So me and my buddy start meeting with him. And he starts unpacking for us that Christianity isn't always a high and that walking faithfully with God is sometimes hard. And that doesn't mean that we aren't forgiven. It doesn't mean that we aren't set free. And can I just tell you, as the weeks progressed, it was a place of refuge for me. He was a safe place. He was awesome. He encouraged me in my walk with the Lord. And I felt like he was set apart from a lot of others. He was distinct in the way that he thought, in the way that he talked, in the way that he lived. And I had a huge respect for the guy. And so for me, like this was a pivotal moment. He was a place of sanctuary for me. So who has been a sanctuary for you in the past? Just think about that. Just go there for a minute. Or what place has been a place of sanctuary for you, right? Some of you, um, you hear the story and you go, yeah, here's the thing though, Clint. I've had places that were supposed to be a place of refuge. I've had people in my life that were supposed to be set apart and distinct, and I found actually the opposite. I can totally relate. I can totally relate. I remember same student ministry. My student pastor was amazing. He was awesome. Super passionate guy. Loved Jesus. UGA grad. Can we ask for more? I mean, back-to-back national champions. I had to go there just for a moment. I'm so sorry. We're going to move on. But a UGA grad, fantastic guy. Loved Jesus. Passionate about Jesus. Spoke and taught the word. And man, just grew a ton under his leadership, under his ministry. And it was like junior, senior year. And uh, I went off with this girl in our youth group. And uh, it, it was to a dance or whatever it was. Went off with her. He asked me like a few days later, hey, how'd that go? And I was like, yeah, it was, it was fine. It was good. You know, she's, she's great. She's beautiful, blah, blah, blah. I don't think I'm interested. I don't think she is. She's not like that. He goes, okay, cool, cool. He didn't say cool, cool. I know it's a new thing. But anyways, <laughs> cool, cool. And so like six months later, um, I find out he's leaving our church and he was actually dating that girl. And I, it just took me for a tailspin. This guy who I trusted, who was distinct, set apart, a place of refuge, a place of strength, super bold personality, loved the guy. And when he, he came to me personally and told me, I was just reminded of the conversation we had when he asked about how did our day go, and it wrecked me. Lost all respect and just went sideways in my heart and in my mind. It was a really tough season, and God was faithful, and he continued to work. But if you're here today, many of you have experienced something like this, where an organization or a person was to be a place of refuge, and you found out that they were the exact opposite. And you're going, what is going on? 
And for some of you in this room, maybe, you were that person who was supposed to be safe at your job, distinct at your job, set apart in your home, and you haven't been that. And the reality is, we all fall short. We're all broken. And at times, we are not a place of refuge. We are not distinct. We are not set apart. And we end up hurting people in the process. And so today, we're going to be encouraged by the Apostle Peter. He's going to encourage us to be a sanctuary for others. In our society, in our church, among those who are far from God. So that's where we're headed. So if you've been broken by that or you have been part of the breaking, Jesus is enough. And he has a place for us and he calls us to a new standard, to a new way in Christ. So let's jump in. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. And Peter's going to give us this framework. What does it look like to be a sanctuary? Verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. I love this paradox. Notice he says that you're a friend, but you're also a stranger and an exile. And when he says you're a friend, dear friends in Peter, what that means is those who are chosen and loved by God. Those who are part of the family of God. Those who have been forgiven, set free, made whole, that they are set apart. Okay? Dear friend, but you aren't just a friend, you're also a stranger and an exile. You are set apart and distinct from the culture around you of those who are far from God. See that paradox? It's beautiful. You are loved, you have an identity, you have a place, but in this world you're going to look different, you're going to be set apart, you're going to be a stranger and an exile, an alien in your own land. And that you would abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. That is warfare language. Internally and also externally. That you're going to be tempted. That you're going to be drawn in the society. There are going to be things that you're going to see, that you're going to feel. And you're going to go, I want that. I want to be a part of that. But you are a stranger and an exile. You're different. You're a sanctuary. You're a place of refuge. You don't live like they do. And so he says, abstain from those things. John Owen says it this way, and it's his modern paraphrase of it. Kill sin or it will kill you. Be killing sin or it's going to be killing you. There's this active nature to saying no to sin so that you can be distinct and holy and a place of refuge, so that you can be a sanctuary to those around you. Right? Everyone has sin, including Christians. It's easy to mess. So Romans 8.13 says it this way. This is the Apostle Paul. If you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. That's really encouraging, right? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I want to talk more about this in a second. But I want you to see this idea of indwelling sin. So it makes me think of, he's saying you're a stranger in exile, but you're a friend. And you need to not do certain things. You need to not live certain ways. You need to not think certain thoughts. You need to wage war against the inner desires that are within you. It makes me think of uh, when I was a car wash manager years and years and years ago. Uh, there was a part of the development of the land that overhung, and you parked here, and you saw all of these vines. It was kudzu. I don't know if you know what kudzu is, but it is like a killer vine. Whatever it grows on, 
it will destroy trees, plants, it doesn't matter. And the owner, he was in horticulture, he went to business school for agriculture, he had his own farm, timber, all that kind of stuff. So that was his world, and he could not kill this vine. I mean, it, it will just grow and grow and grow. It'll look like those curtains. It'll take over a building. It's nasty stuff. And so he's sprayed it, you know, with like Roundup, didn't do anything, right? So he's researching. He's looking. He finally buys the most expensive chemicals I've ever. It was like $600 a gallon. It was ridiculous. And so he buys this stuff, and he's out there spraying. It smelled terrible. I mean, it'll kill somebody just by smelling it. Like it's, it's, it's toxic. And it dies. And he's like, I found the ticket. You know what? Two months later, it starts to grow up again. And it's aggressive again. And it gets after it again. Here's the picture. Okay. He can kill the top layer. But it's always going to grow back. It's always going to grow back. It's the same idea with sin. As Christians, we're like, man, we shouldn't be doing this anymore. No, the reality is we fall short. We're going to continue to sin for the rest of our lives. But we're set free and forgiven. And so what do we do? It's Romans chapter 8, verse 13. But by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. Abstain from those things. This is the idea that you starve sin in your life and you pursue Jesus. It's two things. You don't put to death the misdeeds of the body by just focusing on the sin. You focus on Christ. I'll give you an example. This is a relevant one. It's easy to talk about. I've led tons of guys through this process. It's pornography. I've, I've got guys that will come in and man, I just can't quit. So what do we do? We sit down and, man, we talk about, okay, we got to set up parameters to kill some. That means you cut things off in your life. You live differently. You put parameters. You have community. You do these things. But I was like, if you stop there and you just focus on not doing, you're not going to win. You have to put up parameters. You have to starve out the sin, right? But you also have to pursue Jesus because he's number one, because he's the one who truly heals the inner heart. He truly heals what's going on inside of you. And so you, you starve it out, you kill it, or it's going to be killing you, but you, you pursue Jesus in, in the process. But I want you to see something in this, in this verse. Listen, he says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. You're, man, that's really strong language. And so here's the picture. There are going to be cultural temptations today that they didn't face necessarily that we're going to face. And some overlap, right? So the question is, it's not what did they face. The question is, what culturally do we face that's a temptation that wages war in our souls, right? It's an important question. So I got two for you. Here's the first one. All right. The first one is, culture tells us to pursue success no matter the cost. I know you feel it. I don't want to nuance it for you. Culture tells us to pursue success no matter the cost. Now, here's the reality. We've seen stats We've seen testings. We've seen all kinds of stuff on this. There's different generations in this room and in America. There's Gen Z. There's boomers. There's, there's all millennials. There's all kinds of different generations. And do you know what? Success looks different for different generations. Wild. It's not just, okay, you're going to pursue wealth no matter the cost. It's not just wealth. I'm going to give you one. 
Okay? Here's the first one. Culture tells us, this is the idea of success. Culture tells us to pursue a balanced life no matter the cost. That's success in your life. I'm going to have a, man, my job's going to be a certain amount of hours this way. I'm going to spend a certain amount of hours with my church. I'm going to spend a certain amount of hours with my family. And balance is the number one pursuit in my life, no matter the cost. Right? That's success in people's eyes. The second one is the traditional one. I'm going to pursue with all of vigilance and all of my life to have wealth so that my family can be happy, so that I can be happy, so that my grandkids' grandkids can be happy, right? I'm going to pursue it no matter the cost. That's success in my eyes, in my heart, in my life. I'm going to, here's the third nuance. I'm going to pursue like crazy that I have a secure life, that my family has security, and I'm going to pursue that no matter the cost. And if you get in my way, I will take you down, right? That's success for you. That's winning in your heart, in your mind, in your life. What does Jesus say? You pursue me no matter the cost. Whether you're wealthy or not, whether you have security or not, whether your life is balanced, oh, I'm pushing on it, or not. Do you think that the disciples' lives always look balanced? We're always secure. We're always safe. We're always wealthy. No. So what are we pursuing? What's the temptation that you feel? Is it the balance? Is it the wealth? Is it the security? I mean, I think of my own life when when we left Kentucky to move to Georgia. I had two kids, I think, at the time. I was moving without a job to plant a church. Everything would tell you not to do that, right? It doesn't seem secure. There's definitely not any wealth in it, right? Does it feel balanced? Are you crazy, right? But God called me to do it, and so we went. It doesn't always look. So what's your number one pursuit? Are you actually disobeying God in pursuing some of these things because he's telling you to live differently? to be set apart, to be holy, to be distinct, to be a place of refuge? What's your number one pursuit? Second one, culture tells us that what we feel is always right. I'm going to say it again. Culture tells us that what we feel is always right. It's the highest standard. Okay? There's a book that came out, I don't know, like a year ago called Strange New World by Carl Truman. And here he, he talks about this idea, and I'm going to unpack it. Here's the term, expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. And here's what this means. The most authentic person or real person is the one who expresses what they feel inwardly. It's pervasive in our culture. I, I just want you to hear this. So for me to be a real person, an authentic person, my feelings are the number one driver and how I feel determines how I live, what I do, how I think, and what I choose. That's the number one in my life. Culture tells us, amen, that's true. You should do it, pursue it, get after it. That's the number one in your life. You are most expressed as a person when you are expressing your feelings in every area of your life, right? 
And so I just want to bring it back to the text for just a second because this is huge. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles, so you are to be set apart, different, to abstain from sinful desires. And listen how close this is. Listen how deep it is. To abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. That's a, that's a strong feeling. It's a strong feeling. I remember with this whole idea. I remember a guy coming to me, this is at my former church, and he said, hey man, can I talk to you? And he's, uh, I don't know, mid-20s, single, and he comes up to me, hey man, can I talk to you? And I was like, I I didn't really know him, but I was like, yeah, sure, I'd seen him around, nice guy. And he goes, right out the gate. He goes, hey, um, here's the deal. I am attracted to men only. And he goes, I've never been attracted to a woman in my entire life. Like, don't have it, don't feel it. I think women are pretty and beautiful and it's great, but that's not a part of my life. And then he went from that statement to, and I feel lonely and unloved and I don't know where my place is. I don't know how to fit in. I'm coming here, but I don't know what's really what's going on. I don't know what my relationship with God looks like. I don't know what my relationship with other people look like. And he just started unraveling. And he goes, will you meet with me? And I go, sure, I'd be happy to meet with you. I said, but here's the deal. If I meet with you, it's not going to be about this. He's like, what do you mean? I go, the number one conversation is going to be about how do we pursue Jesus? How do we pursue Christ? What does that look like? How does that infiltrate your thoughts, your mind, your life? And so we did. We started meeting, we started reading together, praying together. And I said, hey, you got to get in community. You got to let people in your life. You got to, man, start serving. You need to use your life for the, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of God. And so he's all in. We're meeting. He's crying in my office. God's doing incredible things. And when we got done, I was like maybe three or four months of meeting. We had gone through like six or seven books. He was reading the Bible daily, praying, in community, serving, fired up about Jesus, fired up about the church. And I said, all right, man, it's been, it's been like three, four months. How you feeling? He's like, I feel good. And I said, has, has it changed? Like your, your thoughts, your desires? Your... And he goes, not one bit. And he said, but I believe that Jesus died for my sons. I believe that he's more than enough. And I believe that he loves me, that I'm a part of the family of God, and that God is at work in me, and that my desires are not the thing that determines my entire life, pursuit of Jesus is. And I was like, praise God. Like, praise God. He got it, right? He didn't fall into the culture. And so as we think about these things, right? And and by the way, I'm just going to do a plug here. Uh, I teach men's theology this semester. I'm going to be teaching women's theology. And we're going to talk more about some of this stuff. We're going to talk through different relevant issues. And so if you're wrestling with this, thinking about this, I'm sure I'll talk about it in guys if it comes up. But uh, we talked about it with the guys last semester. I'd love to unpack that with you. Uh, so there's more discussion to be had there. But let's keep going. Peter's now going to show a reason or a result of being a sanctuary. So let's, let's take a look. He says, verse 12, conduct yourselves honorably. Among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. He says, hey, listen, 
the way you live matters among Gentiles. When he says Gentiles, the main picture here is people who are far from God. Other translations use the word pagans. So, hey, consider to live honorably among those who are far from God, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. So that, what's the reason, what's the result? So that when they slander you, when they give it to you, when they say, hey, you're not whatever, they will observe your good works. They will see that, no, 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 actually you live uh, a, a separate, holy, distinct life, that there's something of value in the way that you live, which is really interesting. So that they would praise God so that they would honor God. So that, that turns the question a little bit. It's not just, hey, live honorably. It's, are you living honorably among people who are far from God in a way that they would respect you, in the way that you would earn their respect, earn their favor, right? That's the picture. It's not just doing good things. It's doing things that society says are good, that are actually good, and you actually do them. That's the picture. So you have to find common ground with the culture. Are you thinking about that? Right? What do they value that will earn respect in their eyes? In their culture, at the writing of Peter, Greek culture in many, many segments, they valued highly self-control. So if you were a person of self-control, you were automatically respected. They're like, okay. Like he's, and so when Peter says abstain from sinful desires, the desires that are bad that they think are bad and you're abstaining them because you have self-control, you earn their respect, right? That's the picture. So the question, though, is what cultural values are in our society that we should uphold? Think about that. What should we be upholding that our society upholds that's good and right and we should do as well? So I've got a few for you. Because we want to win them. We want to point them to Jesus, that Jesus really is the greatest. So here's one. A good work ethic. Like showing up on time. Working hard. Going the extra mile when you can. Saying, hey, I'll serve in areas that aren't just mine. Goes a long way with people who, man, if, if they're going to respect you, you've got to be a hard worker. You have to have a good work ethic. Number two, be respectful. Like, that just seems normal, but just be respectful as a Christian that you're not polarizing and mean, but you actually care about people. You actually listen to people. Be respectful, right? You will win those over to the faith. That's the picture here. It's lifestyle evangelism is what he's talking about, that you would take care of your body, that you would think about what you eat, where you go, how you exercise, all those things in, in culture and society that matters to a lot of people, and they will respect you. Right? Another one, practice what you preach. If you're a hypocrite, if you say, hey, you should do this, and then you don't do it, it's like, what are you doing? I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to follow you. You think I'm going to follow your God? You think I'm interested in Jesus? You don't even live up to what you talk about. Obviously, we're not going to do this perfectly. And that's when we repent, we confess, we own up the fact that we're broken just like everybody else. But there's a guy named Jesus, and he's better. So it is nuanced, but at least try, right? (laughs) At least give it a shot. Like, okay, God, help me out. I just said, hey, you know, you should do this. You do it too. Think about that. Trying to show them a better way. But it's really interesting. We're going to go into, think about this. Peter is talking to friends and exiles. And he says, hey, live honorably. Live differently. Live, live in such a way that you would win people over. And he's going to give a practical way of what that looks like. Okay. 
And you know what he's really saying is, he's in many ways saying that how you live matters. So if you bring an offense to your walk or to the gospel on things that don't matter, you're going to miss it. You're not going to win them over. Live honorably is what he's saying. And so look at verse 13. This is an example. He says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, strong language, or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good. A couple of things just to highlight. Government during their time was not by vote. It wasn't a democracy. It's not like, hey, we're going to vote for this guy and he's in. All right, we voted for him. We feel good about it or we don't feel good about it, whatever it is. It's not like that. He was the guy. He gets it and he's in power. You don't get a vote. Okay, so that's just one thing to notice. Uh, the guy during the time who's most likely in charge during this letter is Nero. And I could tell you a whole lot about him, but I'm just going to tell you this. He's a bad dude. He's a bad guy. There's a whole lot of ink spilled about all the craziness in his life. I'll just, just for starters, he was a murderer, murdered people in his family. He's a bad dude. There's some controversy about what all that he did exactly, so I'm not going to go into all that. He wasn't a good guy and, and a really bad guy, actually. He's in power, not a democracy. And what does it say? Submit to every human authority. I'm going to say it this way. Part of being sanctuary is submitting to the government, is submitting to those in power, is submitting to those in authority over you. It's part of being a sanctuary. It is. You obviously first follow God. There are times at which those in power would ask you to do things contrary to what God would ask you to do in a sinful way, and you don't do those. That's different. Generally speaking, your attitude, your life, submission to those in authority over you. That's part of being in a sanctuary. I'll give you an example. So let's just say, all right, I get pulled over for speeding, which never happens, okay? It just never happens, all right? But let's just say for one day I got pulled over by a cop. He comes over. I've been speeding. He shows up at my car. I roll down my window, and he goes, hey, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? And I'm like, no, I don't have a clue, okay? So I start off like that. And he's like, well, listen, you were going like 20 miles over the speed limit. You were speeding. I'm like, great. And he goes, so I'm going to give you a ticket. I'm like, what? You're going to give me a ticket? Are you serious? Everybody speeds. Nobody was around. This is a dead road. Are you serious, man? Like, what's your problem? Right? If I start going off like that, do you think if he found out I was a Christian and he wasn't, I was asking him to come to my church, he'd be interested? Are you joking me? Right? Sometimes Christians do that, though. Right? Sometimes they do that. It is an actual law. Like for me, let's just be real, uh, let's re-scenario re here. I do get pulled over sometimes, okay? And cop comes and he says, hey, you've been speeding. I go, I know. I'm sorry. And he goes, I'm going to give you a ticket. I was like, I know, I deserve it. Thanks for the ticket. I'll try and slow down next time. I'll try and do better next time. Whole other conversation, right? But I just own it. It's the law. I know I broke it. Give me the ticket. That stinks. A bad day, right? I need to slow down. That's it. That's respecting those in authority. When you go to an organization, they ask you to do something, and you buck at it, you make a big scene about it, you throw up your hands and you make it dirty, right? Are you honoring God in that moment? Are you being helpful? Are you going to win those around you? No. Let me, let, me, let me put it to you like this. 
Do you buck the government in an unnecessary way that detracts people from seeing Jesus? Peter's saying, be different, be distinct, be set apart. Don't lose your cool. Don't have your way. This is in Burger King, all right? That's what he's saying. Verse 15. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. He says, hey, listen, if you actually do good, you'll silence your haters at times. They'll want to hate you, but they can't because you're just so darn good. And you do good things. And they're like, man, the church has been so good to us. I don't know what to do with that. Maybe this Jesus guy really is real. Right? That's the picture. It's John 13, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do good for the society at your job, in your home, among your friends, right? I mean, at Grace, so we're, we're laser focused right now in Center for Teaching and Healing. We just got a property next to the Orlando building that somebody gifted. They literally gave it to us. It's going to be a hub of teaching and healing. It's a counseling center. And we're bringing counselors. We're actually in the middle of hiring counselors at our Avito office right over there right now. Hopefully in February we'll start bringing people who are dealing with trauma, addiction, family issues, whatever it is, that we'll be able to help them. That we'll be able to point them to Christ. Do good for the society in your way. What, what God has given you. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Notice this paradox again. Remember verse 11, friend and stranger, this paradoxical language. Now he's saying, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. It's literally this picture of free people, but also slaves. Right? That you would submit, but yet you're free. It's identity in Christ. It almost seems like a paradox, right? Now, Submit, but you're free. You're freed to submit. You're freed to have life. You're freed to yield to the government. You're freed to yield to your desires that are sinful because you've been set free from the bondage of sin. Now live freely in a way that, man, reaches your neighbor to Christ. That's the picture. Don't use this as a cover-up for evil, your freedom. We're going to have to keep going. There's so much to unpack there. But verse 17, he just kind of summarizes it in some ways. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I, I want to talk about the word honor. And then we're, we're done. Honor literally means to give great weight to. So Ephesians says it like this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Notice he says two different things. Obey and honor. Different people interpret this different ways. This is the way I interpret it. Kids in my house, I got four daughters. They're going to obey mom and dad as long as they're under our roof, as long as they're living with us. But for the rest of their lives, they're going to honor their parents. They are. And what does that mean? I'll give you an example of my own life. I'm no longer under my parents' roof, obviously. But when I was married, had two kids, and I was contemplating moving from Kentucky to Georgia with no job to plant a church, I asked my parents, hey, what do you think about this? Do you know that whatever came out of their mouths, 
I was going to give great weight to. I was going to heavily consider it. Not because my parents are the wisest people in the world. Not because lots of reasons. You know why? Because God placed my parents in my life and I'm going to honor them. I'm going to consider what they say. I'm going to pray about it. I may not do what they say. I may say, hey, I, I hear you, but I really think God's leading me in this way. But it's to give great weight to others. So the, what, what, what does it say? Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise. Notice this, because I think this kind of wraps it up for us. So that it may go well with you and you may have a long life in the land. So that you can have a good life, a whole life, a life of blessing with a promise. So that you can make a difference. That's what we're talking about. That we would be a sanctuary. That we would be a place of refuge and rest that is set apart and distinct. That you would be a safe place for those around you. A life of blessing a life of wholeness, that you may live a long life that is well and good. Let's pray. Father, we, we just pray. We ask that you would do something in us. God, that, that you would be our sanctuary and that out of you, out of your grace, out of your mercy, out of your goodness in our lives, that we would be a sanctuary to others, that we would literally live out the image of you by what we do, by what we say, by how we respond by the, the abstaining from things that this world says is so important. And God, that we would pursue you with all of our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.